Welcome, welcome to Real Stories Podcast with Graham and Brian. And uh, this is episode two of our Colonel Crawford series. Today we will take you from Mingo Bottom, where Colonel Crawford takes command of the expedition. We'll mark you, march you up to the Sandusky town of the Wyandotte Indians and talk about the Battle of Sandusky. Our backyard. Yeah, right in our backyard, just north of uh, where both Brian and I live. Uh, it's one of the classic sort of stories of Wyandotte County and one of the most gruesome, I, probably the most gruesome, to be honest. Uh, it, it, it's certainly up there as far as any that I know of. Yeah, we will um, explain how Crawford initially escapes and is then captured and then uh, go through the details of the execution. Uh, this is definitely an episode where um, we get into some, some gory details, so be ready for that. The story of Colonel William Crawford and his demise is not for the faint of heart. That's so true. If you're going to stick around, be prepared because you're about to hear some real stories. Some real stories. All right. I hope everybody enjoys this episode. So to catch everybody up, we have heard about the massacre, we have heard about Colonel William Crawford, we have heard about Colonel Williamson, we have heard about Fort Pitt, and we are back at Fort Pitt, getting ready for an expedition to the Sandusky Valley. So that's where we're going to pick up today. Yeah, so General Irvine calls on some volunteers and doesn't have too much trouble getting almost 500 men. I think it's like... 469 guys will end up volunteering to take an expedition to the Sandusky. Several of which had just returned from the massacre. Agreed. Lots of them, including Williamson. But Irvine knows this is sketchy, uh, you know, kind of, what, what do you want to call it? Like, though, obviously the Wyandotte and Huron are not happy with the Americans at this point, And they're certainly not happy with anyone that it was at. Nangahootin. Word has traveled along the frontier. Yes. And it actually, you know, that's an interesting point. Word actually traveled quite quickly across the frontier. Sure. I mean, so, there uh, wasn't a lot going on. An event of this magnitude wouldn't have taken long for people to hear about. Yes. So in 1782, he calls Colonel Crawford out of retirement, basically requests that if Crawford is willing um, to come out of retirement and lead the Sandusky expedition and Crawford, although he thinks it's borderline insane, um, thinks he's probably the best bet that they have to do it. And for other reasons that we may never know or don't know, uh, he does. He comes out of retirement and he agrees to lead this group of militiamen into Ohio. So one thing that we can discuss real quick is that one of the one of the things that Crawford did after the Fort Pitt uh, or after the the massacre was he went to Congress and he tried to beg for more funding because it was in his mind that funding and resources were the, the, the biggest obstacles to overcome with the westward expansion and winning the battles of Ohio. So when Congress basically said they, they had no money to give, they weren't going to give any money to this effort. Yeah, I mean, they hadn't even paid any soldiers they for the paid, war. They hadn't paid anybody, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, at, that, at that point, Crawford said, okay, fine, I'm going to retire. So he did. Uh, and I'm assuming somewhere along the lines, they told him, if you come out of retirement, here's what you have available to you as far as resources. So. Yeah. Yep. So these guys are going to meet in a place that's called, called Mingo Bottom. Uh, it's near Wheeling, West Virginia today, um, about 200 miles uh, from... Um, from where we are, uh, roughly. I did a crow fly thing and it was about 200 miles. And they're going to come into uh, what is now hostile Indian territory, unknown wilderness. They've These guys have not been here. No one's been 
far. Certainly people had been on the western bank of the Ohio, but no one had made it very far. And certainly none of these guys had been. Nangahootin was probably about as far into the Ohio territory as they'd been. And they're not disciplined. Uh, they're undisciplined, I should say. They're militia. They're militia. Yeah. Uh, they're kind of dressed. I think I always teach it that they're kind of dressed the way we would think like a, a frontiersman. They didn't have military uniforms. They're just dressed in their buckskin coats. I, and I think you could probably even go as far as to say they look like your typical militiamen now in that none of them matched. Yes, so exactly. They, they were ununiformed. They were probably pre- probably prepared uh, leather pants, leather jacket sort of thing. Yep. Um, and Co- it's combat gear for the time. Agreed. Yeah. And it's May. So, you yeah. know, they're, they're dressed for that kind of, you know, expedition. Crawford um, makes his way down there before he leaves home. He writes his final, he writes a will. Crawford had never written a will. He had fought in the French and Indian war. No will fought in the American revolution. No will, but he was 61 years old now too. Here he is. He's an old, older guy. He has, a couple kids, one of them, a couple of them come with him, uh, son-in-law and his son come with him. Uh, he leaves, you know, uh, distributes his property. And I guess for me, looking back on, I think he, he kind of probably was like, like, this is a rough one to death wish. This is a death wish. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, he gets to Mingo bottom and when he gets there, Williamson, is like, okay, well, you know, I've already been in charge of a lot of these guys, so how about I just am in charge? And Crawford's like, um, oh, I've got a letter here from Irvine, and <laughs> it says that I'm in charge, and, you know, who knows how that went, but I've always found this interesting that Crawford agrees to have the men vote on who will be in charge of the expedition. And when I teach this, I also think, I, I don't think Crawford was a great leader. I, I you know... A great leader doesn't say, you know what, let's take a vote. A great leader looks at Williamson and says, no, you, yeah, you want to be insubordinate or yeah. you, you want to get on board here. I, I'm, I was called by the president to, to lead this expedition. Yeah. Well, basically. Well, not the president, yeah. but yeah, the commander in chief of yeah. the army. Yeah. So, um, but Crawford does win. They vote and he wins 235 to 230. Um, and so Williamson does become second in command. They also then appoint lower officers and Two- a got. 235 to 230. Yes. A divided America even then. I know. Isn't that funny? <laughs> uh, I'm sure there were some uh, there was some cheating involved in the votes, uh, but we well, that's a whole other story. So um, they appoint a surgeon, a guy named John Knight. Knight. And he's obviously important because he's going to be one of the few guys that lives, um, and he is the one who will live to see Colonel Crawford burned at the stake. Was uh, was he okay? Sorry. He's the one we'll that's there that. with Crawford. So anyway, yeah. So these guys, they on May twenty fifth, they take off from Mingo Bottom, and uh, I had some notes that Brian and I took when uh, we traveled the Crawford Trail with Ted Bruner, um, and he had said is about ten miles a day, which I think is typical now, even if you're marching, you know, ten miles a day. Yeah. Uh, sidebar. Graham mentioned that we got to go on the trail with Ted Bruner. What actually happened, and I'll just give this quick little summation. We arrived at Colonel Crawford High School in Crawford County. Yep, North Robinson, Ohio. Yeah, Uh, and met with Ted Bruner, who was a former history teacher. Is that correct? And superintendent of Colonel Crawford Schools. Super guy. And this was pre-COVID, obviously. Um, We got in the truck with him, and he drove us all around Crawford (laughs) County and showed us the areas that they think that he was walking through or, or that the party was coming through and then drove us all the way over to Wyandotte County the whole time telling us stories of Colonel Crawford and this this whole uh, this whole thing. And we would not be where we are today with our with our knowledge of Colonel Crawford or our enjoyment of the, the story of Colonel Crawford without the without the prodding of ted bruner and for that i am forever grateful oh that was so cool ted bruner what a great guy (laughs) and just uh he gave me we that day remember that yes he's getting ready to leave and he pulls out this amazing indiana jones indiana jones type (laughs) leather briefcase 
And he's like, Graham, uh, you're, this is yours now. Like, this is your baby. And yeah. I was like, oh, I've, I've since then very much felt like a, a um, a burden, not a burden, a keep, well, a, key, a keeper. Yes. I'm yeah. a keeper of the, this historical data that he yeah. had collected. And, uh, I'd love to turn it into something as of right now, we're turning it into a podcast. Yeah. So, so they do, they take off and they're heading like Northeast, you know, um, they, they go through Nangahooten, like I said, around June 1st, uh, they arrive near Mansfield, Ohio, and they find some scalps on some trees that, uh, were very clear signs that natives knew they were coming and put these warnings up right on the trail that they're walking. Uh, they have a meeting, uh, Crawford is like, uh, maybe we should turn back. You know, we're, we're running low on supplies anyway. And it's getting hot. It's getting hot. Yeah. <laughs> and Williamson and some of the other men convince Crawford. Nah, we should continue. And so they continue, um, about this time. But at that point, didn't they know that hadn't Gertie or somebody made a, a had sent a party to them to let him know that there was a party coming down from Detroit? Uh, not yet. Okay. But what, what is happening that they don't know about is that the wine dots had been watching them from Mingo bottom the entire time. Oh, the wine dots had been scouting them and since they left, Mingo since bottom. they left Mingo bottom. So, I mean, this, they're literally walking in to a trap. I mean, there's the, they're, they're 10 days out and the wine dots already know they're coming. Uh, and so they, they march on past Mansfield. And if you're from around here, this would be the point where they enter the, like the plains, you know, if you, if you get to Mansfield, you kind of begin to be in the foothills of yeah. like the Appalachian mountains. I mean, it not, it's not the Appalachian mountains, but the foothills of the Ohio Valley. And then you're pretty much it's, it's hilly from Mansfield West, West East. East. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but if you get, Outside, just to the west of Mansfield, it flattens out. You get near Galleon, and you're talking about like seas of prairie at this point, and well, scary uh, for them. Uh, there's the in in the Parker Brown journals and in the Butterfield journals, they talk about the the fear of this. You know, I mean, they're being they, exposed. Oh, they're they're on horseback up in the air, walking through four foot tall grass, there could literally be a, a thousand Indians within 20 feet of them and they would not know it. Yeah. Uh, and so they, at each night when they camp, the, the men are getting more nervous and more nervous. Uh, and by June 3rd, uh, they're around Bucyrus, uh, and they camp just on the South side of Bucyrus. Present day Bucyrus. Present day Bucyrus near uh, Leesville. And that's actually where we started. Do you remember? Yep. We, we started with him in Leesville. Uh, there's a park there called um, uh, Volk. It's called, it's called Volk, Volkner Park. Um, that's a little area that is the camp where Colonel Crawford camped that night. So anyway, June 3rd, they wake up. June 4th, uh, they head toward Wyandotte, Ohio. Um, if, if you're familiar with the area, they camp around there. They get down into Reber's Bottom uh, on probably June 4th, just up on the hill on Reber's Bottom, probably out around like the old McCarthy Stone Quarry, the Olin Corporation, and they camp out there. And from there, they will march into Upper Sandusky the next day. Which, which at the time was just the Wyandotte settlement. Yeah. Yep. A Wyandotte. Yeah. Yeah. A Wyandotte Indian settlement. Uh, the Wyandots had been here, you know, probably since the 1670s ish or so. Uh, so chief Dunquat who since May 28th has been following them, uh, or knowing where they, they were, uh, he has already called, however he did it, He's already let the British Army Rangers out of Fort Detroit know that they need backup. And Gertie is Simon Gertie. Have we talked about Simon Gertie yet? We, we've not gone too far in depth with Simon Gertie, but, but he is an important part of, of this area and the history of it. Yeah. Sure. So he was an American frontiersman, had been 
kind of hanging out with the Wyandots since about 1776. He was... Was he American or was he Canadian? He was Canadian, like a British Canadian. I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. Um, he, I know that he does die in Canada. He, he yeah. dies years later, yeah. uh, blind in blind. Canada. Yeah. But uh, it, so the British are on their way to Upper Sandusky, or to the Sandusky village here. And the Delaware and the Wyandots are already here waiting for them. And they basically set a trap for them. Uh, the, the town that's upper Sandusky is kind of up on a hill on a bluff and they had abandoned that village. And so Crawford gets here and they come into the village and no one's there. And again, they drink from the spring, uh, where the elks on Kirby Hill, uh, they drink from the spring there and that's where they kind of set up like, okay, well, where did they go? And it's like, well, they clearly marched north out of here. There evidently was tracks and whatever. And it had to be an eerie feeling like, well, obviously they know you're coming. Yeah. Right. If they've abandoned the town, where are they? If if the locals don't want to be around when, when the uh, proverbial yeah. stuff goes down. <laughs> yes. So uh, Crawford sends a scouting party north. And they see that they know that they're out north um, right today, like out around Smithville, uh, what becomes Crane Town. Battle Island. And yes. And it, so so Crawford which later, is, which later is not that actually, day. Which is not actually an island. It's just a, a, it's a woods in the middle of a field that looks like an island in the middle of water. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It, it's an old crane. There's an old cranberry bog cranberry out there. Cranberry bog, yep. And so the Wyandots and the Hurons had gone out north of that cranberry bog. Um, we, we live it on the plains, but there is a rise, a slow rise as you head out north there. And they were just over that rise. And Crawford's men marched north out of Upper, probably right past, like, the, right down 53. I'm, I mean, in that general area. Yep, that would have been the, the trail. Yeah. March out through there. They, they would have gone by um, the, what, the Clapper's house. The Clapper's <laughs> The Clapper's. Remember the girls? Oh, the, right. the women, the, the Amazon women. But the Clapper's weren't there yet. They weren't there yet. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, and Correct. they marched out. And they got out to this area that is now known as Battle Island. It's just north of where 23 and the 53 overpass and kind of where 67 turns off and heads towards Sycamore. Um, the old shoot away building is right there. My uncle Mike actually lives in the house that's right there. And there is a marker out there for Battle Island. And they, they march out that way. And there is a cranberry bog there and kind of a low. There's a marsh or marsh. swampy area. Not the best place to be when the Wyandots begin firing at you um, and, and your army. And you can't see through the four-foot-tall grass where they're firing from. Yes. Yeah. And they were also firing from the woods around there. Mm-hmm. And from what I've read, there the woods that's out there that like Kevin Locke lives on that one mm-hmm. side. And then um, that there was more woods, obviously, you know, farmers had been cutting trees down for years yeah. and um, there was more woods there. And the Indian, the, the Wyandots in Delaware were in those woods too, firing from the trees. And the day one, which was June 4th is bad news, but not too bad. There's five Americans were killed that day. Um, and they kind of just hunker down there. But they, the but they also realized that they weren't terribly outnumbered at that point. So, uh, so uh, it wasn't a, it wasn't a total loss yet. Agreed. But their supplies were dwindling mm-hmm. and then they actually like they're stuck there that night. And then they wake up the next day still there. And I believe wasn't that Brian Gertie tried to get him to surrender. So, so by f- and now, and I'll read this uh, little section by four o'clock, the fighting was widespread and the smell of gunpowder uh, filled the air. The fighting continued until dark, but resumed at dawn the following day. Running low on ammunition and water, the American force was in trouble. Gertie then rode out on his gray horse, carrying a white flag, and called for surrender. However, that's not what Crawford had in mind. (laughs) Um, But later that evening, because the the fighting had stopped, so there was kind of a, a lull in activity, Crawford again gathered his officers, and they decided that they did, in fact, think it was best to retreat. So yep. word gets out. 
they're they're saying okay we're gonna we're gonna go out here in the dark unfortunately uh, a group um had soldiers had left early and split their group almost in half yes and fighting took place in the middle of the night while this group was trying to get away and and they had basically been slaughtered um yeah, so the Shawnee Indians arrived late that day on the southeast, southwest side of them, and some British Rangers had also arrived on the north, and that's when Crawford, I think, realized like we got we need to get out of here. You got to realize too, this whole time the uh, the the Wyandots were, I can't think of a, a good word to describe this. They were they were picking at them they so they would run up they would sneak up in the in the weeds and then they'd fire a shot and then they'd run away and hide or, or they'd pick off somebody from a a, a position you know of advantage uh, sniper style like they were they were just messing with them the entire time so so people were getting shot people were getting stabbed people were getting scalped and and it might be the guy standing right beside you and you you didn't even see it coming yeah so this I, whole time that's happening it's an important thing to remember that this is frontier warfare. And I, have to, I tell my high school kids a lot, in the Civil War, if McClellan wants to invade somewhere, he's got trains full of supplies coming behind him. Yeah. So yeah. you just shoot and shoot and shoot and shoot. We'll have more bullets for you tomorrow. Yeah. Colonel Crawford, the Wyandotte Indians, they don't have any more bullets than what they have. No, they. I mean, they, <laughs> they, they might have a pouch of three hundred bullets, and that's going to take them probably all. Well, if it takes a minute and a half for each bullet, you're talking five hours almost to just to shoot them all. Yes, and that's if you're just loading, shooting, loading, Non-stop. shooting, loading, shooting. Yeah. Yep. So I mean, they're they're this is still musket warfare. Yeah. Which is important to note, but yeah, you're right. There's all sorts of this small gorilla scale gorilla warfare going on. And then that night they do decide they're going to, they got to bolt, they got to get out. And Williamson, who's been there this whole time, right? Mm -hmm. Williamson gets his men out. There's a lot of men who go with Williamson from what I've read. Crawford was like, okay, I'll give the, I'll give the word and then we'll all take off. Well, Williamson and some men took off early. Yeah. And, it's at that point that it becomes a disaster retreat. And I've got actually some different things. About 250 people probably get out. Uh, there's a bunch of stories of people who try to escape. Uh, two guys take off west into the darkness. They're found sleeping by a group of Shawnee the next day, and they're killed and scalped. Two escaped north, uh, died of starvation, were found lying behind a log a few weeks later. I, I think. I think Gertie even mentioned to Crawford that there was there was uh, dissension with the the Wyandots because they they were upset about the the massacres. They knew about it. They were taking this personal, and and Crawford was that's kind of when he decided, you know, this this might be a bad idea. Yeah, we're 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 in over our heads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're in the middle of this bog. There's a guy named John Slover who escapes, gets north, ends up around Tiffin. He he actually doesn't quite know where he was, um, but was taken to a large Shawnee town, which I don't think would have been up north around Tiffin. But that's where, if when I've looked at on a map of where they think he went, anyway, um, they tried to burn him a few days later. Slover. Slover, John Slover. And he has, he ends up escaping because they tried to burn him and there was a huge thunderstorm and they couldn't get a fire <laughs> going. And the, that night he escaped um, <laughs> and ended up making it back. Uh, had two companions that were beaten to death. One of them was a guy named William Harrison, not William Henry Harrison, but a guy named William Harrison, who was Crawford's son-in-law. Oh, okay. And that guy, William Harrison, is one of the people who, when everyone was escaping, Crawford was looking for his son-in-law and, was, and couldn't find him. Couldn't find him, yeah. And Knight was like, we got to go. And Crawford, I think, was doing the right thing. Said, I can't leave without my son-in-law. My- and all, all these other injured men. Yeah. You know, we don't, he's the colonel. He can't leave these guys behind. He's just trying to gather his forces and get out of there. So these guys get out. and. 
Crawford doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Is is the bottom line. He was captured. Yep. So um eventually they don't get captured there. They scatter. Um a, a bunch of the men met back at the big spring at the top of Kirby Hill. Um, and 250 men or so are going to march out of upper back towards Bucyrus that next morning. And they're going to get caught up with, so now we're the next day, um, June 8th, June, I think by now we're on June 8th or 9th. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they make it over to Olentangy and a couple of days later, um, encounter, uh, the Delaware again. And there's a battle there, the Battle of Olentangy, which was a fairly famous battle. Mm-hmm. If if you look up the Colonel Crawford expedition and the Colonel Crawford marker, a lot of times it'll take you to the one that's over at the Battle of Olentangy, Olentangy. Uh, right near uh, the old. Um, there was a golf course south of Bucyrus that was right on the Olentangy. It's basically like the Olentangy Creek, but I mean it's the Olentangy River. Yeah. Anyway, Crawford and Knight are going to eventually escape. They escape north and go north, probably out to about Smithville. And I think that they cross the river at Smithville and then they head back east, probably like past kind of like where Ellis Lake is ish. And then kind of making a route toward Osceola. Basically right past like my parents' backyard. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been right out in there. Yeah. Uh, Timocti Township yep. into Sycamore Township, maybe a little then over into Eden Township. Um, at one point, and this, I, I think Brian and I will come back and do a story on the broken sword of mm-hmm. Colonel Crawford. Uh, in the Wyandotte County Museum, there is a broken sword that is from the Revolutionary Era. Some believe it was Colonel Crawford's sword that broke at the you know at the broken sword creek but was this was the legend or the story that the that the indians broke it as in and then threw it in the river or it was found in the river and it was broken or i thought there was some significance to it being broken other than just being the broken sword creek but i i don't know yeah let's come back and do a yeah let's do a show on that because we can go talk to ron marvin at the museum and we'll see what all we got on that that's great but at, at, anyway, they get back over to around south of Bucyrus. And again, Crawford, saw, I think he's probably exhausted. He's scared. He's tired. He's hungry. Um, but they get back to like the main road that the army had walked down. And he's with, oh, wait, actually, there's another story I'm going to add into here. When they're walking that way, there's a, it's, it's them and, and Knight. So it's Crawford and Knight. And then also an old man and a young lad. That's all Knight remembers. He never knew their names. Yeah, doesn't need to. No, because uh, they they die. So yeah. um, <laughs> the uh, old man and the young lad start walking with them. They're following the North Star on their left. Uh, it's around 4 a.m. and the old man can't keep up with them and he keeps yelling to slow down. And they finally stop and they go back to him. They're like, look, you have to shut up. Like you, if you uh. keep talking... You keep yelling, they're going to find us. And they kept walking. And about two miles later, that old man was behind them and he's yelling. And they said, and then we heard the cries of the Indian war cry Hmm. and the old man was no more. (laughs) So then there were just three of them. They kept walking. They eventually find a dead deer. They, they carve it up and eat it, start a fire. And then that night it rains this huge rain. And it Uh was the same rain that saved John Slover. Slover. Okay. Um, uh, Crawford said it was, or Knight said it was one of the scariest, longest nights of his life uh, through this rain, dark, they couldn't get a fire going, all this stuff, frightened and all this stuff. So this is now June 7th. They wake up and they're over near Bucyrus. They get back on the main road, which to me just seems silly. Like, and and we're, we're again, we're talking about the party that had left and successfully escaped, yep. the, the, not Crawford. Correct. Just yep. Crawford and Knight. And now a couple other guys that have gotten with them and they get on this trail and they're on it for about two miles and three Delaware Indians jump out of the brush, capture Dr. Knight and Crawford. They're at one point Knight is maybe going to shoot one of these Indians and Crawford tells him to put his gun down and they are captured on this is uh, June 8th. They're captured. There was Colonel Crawford upon the retreat.
So there's nine other people at this village where they're taken near Leesville, a Delaware village with a chief named Wingendun. Wingendund. And I'm, you know, they, you know <laughs> yeah, I don't know how to say it. It's like I I'm sometimes not, I need to take a pronunciation course. Just I'm nodding my head to yeah. say, yeah, that's great. Wingendund. Um, and he has this town there near Leesville. There are nine other prisoners there with uh, Crawford. It's near Low Volk Park. Uh, and they, you know, are, are waiting there on their fate. And the next morning, they're marched back pretty much, uh, according to Ted Bruner, right down the Sandusky. So they're marching back, you know, along the Sandusky. It's at this time that Crawford starts to notice that they're referring to him as the big captain. And this is all important because they, the big captain is going to end up being David Williamson. They, they basically are like, Oh, you're the, you're the guy that led the massacre at Nangahooten. Well, he, Crawford took the heat because he was the captain of this expedition and yes. And the oldest of the group. So they assumed he was involved in, the massacre. Yeah. Yeah. So on the way back there, you know, Knight explains from this point on, we mostly know um, this from John Knight mm-hmm. uh, because he's the survivor here. Um, and so on, on the way back and they, you know, they make it somewhere out near Smithville, basically. Uh, what's the town, Brian? Half Kings? Half Kings Town. It's Half yeah. Kings Town. Sorry. Uh, and they make it out there. Um, they'll stay at actually a trading post called McCormick's trading post. And there Crawford requests to meet with Simon Gertie and they had, you know, known each other a little bit during the French and Indian war. They'd fought together a little bit. And so they knew each other. And at this point, Crawford's hope is that he can convince them to ransom him to the British in Detroit. Yep. Like get, get, and that is, that's his only hope really is like, maybe they'll, Maybe they'll sell me to the British and then he can, you know, tell some secrets or just be a prisoner of war. And, you know, hey, we got one of your colonels and be alive and he'd be alive. Yeah, because the alternatives to that were enslavement, adoption, being adopted into the tribe, which was probably not going to happen at 62 years old. Uh, like I said, enslavement, which probably wouldn't happen or last very long or just be executed. Yeah. Yeah. So. This is June 9th now, and he he's going to meet with Gertie, and Gertie says, look, uh, I've talked to him. They're not going to sell you to the British. Like, you're, you, this, you, know, you need to escape. If you want to get away, you have to escape. That's, that's how serious the massacre was to the Ohio Valley, or the Ohio Indians, because, because it, was, it was basically agreed upon by all the tribes after that, that they would, they would just uh, torture and kill any Americans that were in, in re- revenge for the, the massacre. Yes. And so Crawford's like, look, like, you know, what are they going to kill me for? Like, I literally came here and they beat, beat the tar out of us. Yeah. Like, you know, and he says, they think you're Williamson. And Crawford's like, you know, at this point, he's like, whoa. So they're not going to budge. It's Chief Hopicon, um, who is the guy they need to convince. His, his Indian name is... Conasquanahil. And he's the Delaware chief that like is going to kill him. That's pipe, right? Pipe. Yeah. Correct. Uh, So. Which is a great name for chief. Yeah. Chief pipe. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, That should be my nickname. So anyway, (laughs) captain pipe, captain pipe. So Gertie says, look tonight I'll bring, I have a slave and his name's Sam Wells. And I'll bring him over on a horse and he will meet you a mile west of here. And you escape, you run like crazy and you jump on that horse and you make your way northwest and hopefully the British find you. And, you know, the British aren't going to burn you. The British find you. They're going to just take you captive and then you're probably going to be fine. And according to Gertie, uh, he says that uh, Crawford appeared disheartened and with no pluck to make the effort. <laughs> he's tired. <laughs> he's tired. Yeah. He's been walking hungry. He's an old just, man. You know, he's an old guy. And so, uh, in, in the end, Crawford's like, look, I'm, I'm just going to have to go and try. I think I can convince them. I think that if I talk to them, I can convince them that I'm not them, that I'm not Williamson. And the next day comes and Crawford has to be, kind of does get a trial. 
right? There, there is a trial essentially um, on June 10th. So this, Brian, you and I had read that thing about, um, you know, that, that inn or that house in Taimakti. And I've, I was wondering the other day if maybe that's where, cause that'd be like kind of a halfway point on the way out to the execution site. And that's basically, that, that basically would have been a trading post, but I don't think that, I don't think Taimakti was, I don't think it was active as a town until 18, 10. Okay. So it's a little later. Yeah. yeah. So not not much. I mean, it it doesn't take long after, after this whole, uh, you know, obviously it's 20 years later, but in 20 years we go from this that we're talking about right now to uh, Ohio becoming a state. Uh, I mean, yeah, it doesn't, didn't take long. So June 10th, it's the death March. Uh, they, they are heading over towards modern day, uh, like Lovell, Ohio, well, really Crawford, Ohio, Crawford. Yeah. yeah. A little town like village called Crawford. There are 11 prisoners being marched over there. And as Knight recalls, um, as they're walking over about every half mile or so, a, a native American would kind of come running out of the woods and just just come and just beat the crap out of one of them and kill them. Like four of them were killed along the way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and scalped. They were, they were killed with tomahawks and scalped along the way. And they, they painted the prisoners faces black to indicate that they were uh, to be executed. Yes. I mean, there were, there was no, there was no hope for them, which also, you know, made those people seem racist because they were in blackface. And I don't think that's what they meant. Oh, okay. <laughs> so they, they do, they, yeah, they're, it's bad news marching all the way over there. Um, and uh, uh, somewhere in that time, uh, the Shawnee come and Knight is given to the Shawnee, like as a prisoner to the Shawnee, but he did, they don't take him anywhere yet, but he becomes kind of like the property of the Shawnee at this point. Uh, they then have to run a gauntlet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you don't know what, like a native American gauntlet, you know, basically they line up and you've got to try to get through the, if you played middle school football or high school football, you maybe had to run the gauntlet with the football and everybody's trying to strip the ball out of your hands. But here they're trying to beat you with clubs and poke you with sticks. Yeah. Throwing (laughs) boulders, rocks at you and whatever they have. And, but, but before that, uh, because, because Crawford and Knight were the only two that were alive during this whole thing because Delaware women and boys killed the other five with tomahawks and then behe- they even beheaded one of them right in front of everybody. Yep. Um, and then they scalped them and then took the scalps and tied them to the end of sticks and were, <laughs> I, I don't know, I, the, this image kills me. Um, they, were, they were taking the sticks and slapping them in the faces of Crawford and Knight. So, yes. So they were... There's some really angry people. Oh, well, imagine <laughs> if uh, somebody comes and kills every person you know. Yeah, right. A- and you're one of the, the, the 50 that are left behind or, or however many, you know. Yeah, you're not going to be happy. Yeah. So these people justifiably are taking out some vengeance. You know, they, they don't have uh, modern day... Uh, grieving techniques. Uh, <laughs> they don't have our culture's grieving techniques at this point. And so, uh, Crawford then goes to trial. He, they, they hold a little trial for him. Hopcon or pipe, uh, is the final say in this. Um, they bring him in a council house. Gertie is there to translate. And, and I've all, you know, translations throughout history have always interested me, <laughs> you know, like how well are you really translating? You and tell him we're going to poke him with red hot pokers and then we're going to, yeah. And what Gertie said was it doesn't sound good. Yeah. William. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're in big trouble. So, yeah. uh, chief wing and Dunn is there and Crawford knew him. Um, they had met before after the tr- treaty of Fort Stanwix, uh, Wingenden was involved in that treaty and Crawford and him had laid out some land down, um, had done some basic surveying or he had explained the survey to him. And evidently they had even drank together uh, because Crawford kind of pleads to him and says, look, we knew each other um, and we've drank together. And Wingenden says, look, I, this isn't my call here. Like, you know, I'm. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you get the point. I mean, he's he's in big trouble. So yeah, and, and also during this time, Pipe had had spoke up and, and mentioned that he had 
he was familiar with Crawford. He he knew of him as being a uh, uh, maybe not the leader of the the massacre at Nadhuton, but he did know that he had been involved with massacring Mingos in the past, uh, and who were a peaceful tribe. So th- they they had it in for Crawford, and there was no talking them out of it. Right. Yeah. And uh, a, a woman stands up, name. Micha Capeche. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and uh, she's an elderly woman who had been at the Salt Licks in Kentucky in 1774, where Crawford was had been there. And Crawford says, look, I remember you. I saved your life. And she says, no, y- you killed my mother-in-law and my husband <laughs> and uh and also my thumb got blown off and i blame you for that also and, and how are you going to argue that in in a in a fake court yeah and, and simon gertie had actually been at, at the salt licks too but at, doesn't say anything you know mm-hmm. and uh, uh hopacon after this woman sits down hopacon kind of gives the final like all right we're doing this yeah you're you're gonna die gertie then says whoa whoa like hold on like well what how about i give you my horse i'll give you i don't think we should kill this guy maybe in retrospect gertie had a point of like you're gonna really make these white people mad well and i think that was the plan was to what he was trying to do is explain to them that that crawford was worth more alive than tortured yes yes um, yeah, because, you know, Americans aren't used to this kind of a treatment, right? Yeah. And, and, uh, and it is, the, I mean, Crawford's going to be martyred after this. Um, and you know, not that it was going to stop the, the tide of white settlement or something if, if they hadn't killed him, but Gertie offers him and, and Hopcon says, look, get, no, someone's going to pay for this and it's going to be him. I, it, whether he's Williamson or not, if, if he isn't the one that was at Nangahooten, which we agree probably wasn't, he didn't do anything when he had Williamson under his command to yeah. punish Williamson. And so, um, that's it. You we've know. already got this fire going. I mean, we've got a lot to do here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've already got the stake in the ground. And so. They march them out to this oak grove that everyone is pretty, everyone around here is pretty sure is, um, you know, just, just kind of north of our landfill. Um, yeah, like off of Township Highway 29, there's a little road that goes back, uh, to the Ritchie Cemetery. Uh, that's where Crawford was burned when I was in fourth grade. It's pre- presumed that's where Crawford agreed. Going. Yeah. Uh, when I was in fourth grade, we went there for a field trip mm-hmm. and had like a picnic down in the bottom down there. It's a uh, really nice, big open grove. Oh, uh, it's or, gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. So he's marched out there and they get out there. Knight is there with the Shawnee guards. There's um, what Knight says is a is a 15 foot tall post in the ground. And then. Uh, about seven feet in diameter around it, uh, well, the radius, seven foot radius around it, uh, a ring uh, of logs and fire <laughs> that they're gonna burn Colonel Crawford with. Um, but it, but by this point, they had already stripped him naked, and and they beat the tar out of him. Yes. So hands tied behind his back. They tie his hands behind his back. Um, they, they light the fire mm-hmm. and then they um, take turns uh, somewhere around 70 rifle loads of black powder at point blank range mm-hmm. are fired into his body. So imagine that. Which would hurt in itself. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Just imagine that. At this point, Gertie offers to buy him. And then it gets worse. And Hopacon says, look, you can take his place or you can shut up. Yeah. You know, and... <laughs> Whenever you see uh, images, all the images I've ever seen of the burning of Colonel Crawford, um, there's always Gertie on his white horse. Mm-hmm. There's always the guy on the horse around there. Um, they cut his ears. Hopicon actually cut his ears from the top to the bottom, just leaving the bottom little bit for his ears to hang there, which, I mean, is just horrible to even fathom. This was not a pleasant event. No. Uh, he, uh, Crawford by this point 
um, isn't even being burned yet. Uh, Crawford is begging Gertie to shoot him. Um, and Shorty, Gertie says, look, I can't, man. Like they're, it's either me or you. They're going to do this. I'm going like to choose me and Gertie time. knows, you know, by this point. Uh, the Delaware are now grabbing burning sticks and poking him with them. Uh, kids are using boards to scoop coals and, and throw the coals, the bark, hot coals strips on them. of bark. And then they were picking up coals. And, and they were, I think the, the women had taken burning pokers and they were poking his genitals through all this. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, wing, wing and done actually, according to Knight, kind of walks away, can't watch. Uh, Gertie can't stand it anymore, and he rides away. And then they begin to burn him. And yeah. I've always, when I, you know, just knew this, I, when I just had heard this story before, my assumption is, you know, they pile a bunch of wood around him and light it, and he burns to death. Yeah. It, it's not the case. <sighs> that would have been much better. That would have been the, that's, Yeah. <laughs> He would have loved that. In a way, they kind of slow roast him. You know, it, it, they, they light this fire about six feet away from him or, you know, four or five feet away from him. And he's in the middle of it, tied to a rope to this stake. And they basically just meld him. And they, yeah, they slow roast him. They, uh, they smoked him. Somewhere. They um, smoked Crawford. Knight estimated it took around two to three hours. Um, and again, people are still, um, every once in a while jumping over the fire and punching him in the face or punching him in the gut. Knight, Knight also mentioned that it, uh, after two hours, um, Crawford fell down and he was unconscious and somebody ran in and scalped him. And at that point, a woman poured hot coals over his head and it revived him and he, he woke up again and, and kind of wandered around and in, insensibly, um, and then he finally died. Yep. Here's the, uh, uh, from Knight's journal. He staggered around the pole once more, his face covered in blood, his body charred, covered with ghastly burns. He stopped, stood erect for a moment, and then pitched face down into the coals of the ashes. And William Crawford was dead. Uh, how would you like to watch that knowing that that is the fate that beheld you the following day? Oh my. I mean it's just a I mean a, if you're night brutal you, yeah. brutal story. If you're night, you have to be wondering what is going on here. Yeah. So um you know, I I think we can kind of leave it there. Um and we can talk uh in our next episode we'll kind of rehash some of this and talk about where we got our information from. We'll talk about uh what happens to everyone in this story? Where where Gertie ends up? What happens to Hannah Crawford, who's left widowed? Um, what Knight is obviously going to make it back and tell the story. Uh, he makes it back to Mingo Bottom, walks, th- escapes from his Shawnee captors at night, and only travels at night for about ten days and makes it back to Mingo Bottom on foot. On foot, and um, he's going to be the one that tells the story. Obviously, people. Uh, in Western Pennsylvania are furious, but no one's really willing. What are you going to do? Hey, these 500 people (laughs) who were well-armed and prepared just got slaughtered. Yeah. Um, Do, can we find anyone left that wants to, that isn't even that good at this? Any takers? (laughs) Yeah. So nothing really happens. He becomes kind of a, um, like a martyr for, I think a um, uh, white expansion into Ohio in some ways. Look at these savage, you know, the savage Indians that will burn this guy at the stake. Yeah. And, you know, uh, for the record, Brian and I aren't taking any. We obviously realize that horrible things were done to Indians. Um, we're on no one's side in this thing. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm on the side of peace. Yes, always. agreed. Di- peace and diplomacy. Agreed. Yeah. So uh, there is a song that's made about Colonel Crawford. It's really kind of a poem that's turned into like a ballad called Crawford's Defeat by the Indians. Uh, it's the song that we've been playing periodically throughout this program. It is, you know, in, in modern day uh, considered very racist and kind of almost... I don't know that's very racist. It it just the intent was to yeah uh to to bring awareness. It, it was kind of like the minstrels of old England where um you know, how can you tell a story? The the best way to tell a story is is with a song because it is somewhat entertaining as well. Yeah. Um, cuz 
the the song isn't necessarily racist. It they just use some language that is yeah stuff agreed. we wouldn't say now. And, and it's clearly pro Colonel Crawford. Well, you know, it's pro America. It's, it's pro America. Pro expansion. Yeah. Pro America. Yeah. So, um, you know, and then we know the rest uh, of what's going to happen with Native Americans in this area. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not a lot, not a long time before they're all gone anyway. And uh, that's obviously a sad, horrible thing. But um, we will talk kind of about that stuff in the next episode. Yeah, um, great. I hope that everyone has enjoyed and maybe learned something. Please let us know through our email at realstoriespodcast.com. Uh, if you have anything to add, maybe you know something we don't know. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Tell tell us we're wrong, even, but but bring bring your evidence, and we'll be happy to read it because yeah. because we love this stuff. Yeah, agreed. We're interested in learning it, uh, obviously. So we're we're down to hear some new stuff. Yeah, hope everybody enjoys the show. We'll talk to everyone soon. Have a great day.